So we don't have a Thanksgiving service this morning, as you notice from your bulletin, and Chris will announce later, uh, celebrating Thanksgiving as a church family uh, Sundays, but uh, it was great singing all those songs of Thanksgiving this morning. So thanks, Bonnie. You can't have Thanksgiving too often, really, can you? <laughs> always good to, always good to express thanks to God. Anyway, <clears throat> the will of God is an interesting topic, and I don't think that phrase would ever fail to catch the attention of any Christian who is serious about his or her walk with God. Any Christian who is serious about being a Christian will be striving to live their lives under the will of God. Uh, you sometimes struggle in discerning what the will of God is. And even when we do know what it is, we sometimes struggle in obeying it. But it is a phrase that will catch our attention. Years ago, stories told of an old Scottish woman who went to the hill country and just wandered around on the hills to all the farmers and homesteaders and whatever, uh, just peddling thread and buttons and shoestrings and, and so on and so forth. And she developed a pattern when coming to an unmarked crossing in the road of she would toss a stick into the air and then go whichever way the stick pointed. One day she was seen tossing the stick into the air several times. And when asked why, she answered, well, it's pointing to the right, but I want to go to the left. It looks smoother that way. So she kept throwing the stick until it finally pointed left. And that's kind of how we are sometimes when it comes to the will of God, isn't it? We have a desire to do what God wants us to do, but when God indicates to us what he wants us to do by whatever method, we don't like it. The other way looks better. So we assume there's something wrong with our method of discerning God's will, and so we keep on tossing the stick, so to speak, until we get an answer that we like. And also I think sometimes some of our trouble with the will of God is that we don't understand it really. Uh, and we get the idea that if we would know the will of God, the plan of God, and we then we'll know exactly what the rest of our lives will have for us. And we like that idea. That means we wouldn't have to live by faith. So chapter 41 of Genesis, where we are looking today in our journey through the book of Genesis, uh, come to this chapter, it, it speaks about God revealing some things to Pharaoh about what he was going to do in the next few years. And I have to admit, I struggled a bit with this passage as I tried to put this sermon together. Uh, what's the truth here in this chapter for us? What is God saying for us today? And I read it and studied it, and the more I did that, the thing that came out to me more and more is that this chapter is about how God prepared the leader of the land of Egypt for the years ahead. God let Pharaoh know his plan, or his will, if you like, for the next 14 years, as we're going to see as we go through it. And not only what he was going to do, but also how he's going to provide and do that entirely through human servants. So it's a chapter about the plan of God, which for our purpose this morning I'll call the will of God, and how Joseph responded to the knowledge of God's will, and how Pharaoh responded. And so as we study this chapter, we will be focusing in on the revelation of God's plan, or God's will, and how these truths apply to us. Just to refresh us as to where we are in the story, we'll do a, just a bit of a review 
review. You remember last week we saw the cupbearer and the baker, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, in jail with Joseph. And how Joseph, sensitive to them as persons, noticed that they were troubled and downcast and dejected, and he helped them. And then, sensitive to God's voice, he interpreted their dreams, and it happened just as Joseph said it would. And how through it all, Joseph was accepting of God's plan, even when the cupbearer forgot all about him, and Joseph's request to him that when he gets out, to plead his case before Pharaoh, because he's in jail, an innocent man. But the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph when he got out of jail. And so that brings us today to chapter 41, where we will be looking. So again, we're going to go through the story first, so they're all familiar with what happened. It is fairly straightforward. But then we'll apply some truths to our lives. Verse 1 tells us that after two full years, after the events of chapter 40, Pharaoh had a dream. So two full years. So the cupbearer had got out of jail, and two years after that, Joseph had a dream. Uh, not Joseph. Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh the king of Egypt. That's what Egyptians called their leaders. They called them pharaohs. English, English people called their leaders kings in the old days of the monarchy. Roman Empire, they called their leaders the emperor. Egyptians, the leader was the pharaoh. So Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he had a dream. And in his dream, he's standing by the Nile River. And as you know, the Nile River was and is the main river in Egypt, flowing right through Egypt, making along the shores of the river a very lush and fertile area. Uh, the Nile River floods annually, irrigating that area on either side of the river and making it all very fertile, as I said. Uh, the area just beyond that is pretty much all desert. But along that river is a very lush, fertile area. And ancient Egypt depended very heavily on the Nile River. So in his dream, Pharaoh was standing by the Nile River. And then he was, as he was there, it says seven cows came up from the river. And that's probably not an unusual sight. Apparently, their cattle would often wade out into the river until they're almost submerged to get away from the heat and the bugs. Anyway, he saw these seven cows coming up out of the river, and he said these cows were all sleek and fat. And they came up out of the river, and they grazed there in the marsh grass. And then he said, seven more cows came up out of the river. But these last seven cows were very different from the first seven. These ones were gaunt and ugly. The word translated gaunt in the, my translation, the New American Standard, thin um, and other translations, uh, it's a very expressive word in the Hebrew. It means excessively thin and angular, often as a result of suffering. So these last seven cows weren't the type of cows you'd take to market. They were, they were in bad shape. Anyway, these ugly skinny cows came up on the bank and stood with the fat ones. And then it says the ugly cows ate up the fat cows. And then, verse 4, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again. And he had another dream. And in this dream, he saw a single stalk of, of grain. Some translations say corn. Um, the, the word is, uh, it just means grain in general. It's not a specific kind of grain. The old English word corn actually meant the same thing. It just referred to any type of grain. Uh, a single stalk. I'm not sure what kind of grain it was, but on this stalk, there were seven ears or seven heads or whatever they were all plump 
and heavy. And then after them, seven more ears or heads grew on the same stalk. I take it. And as before, these last seven are much different from the first seven. They were thin and scorched by the east wind. Uh, apparently in dry years in Egypt, that east wind would come and it's incredibly hot and just shrivels everything in sight, everything that it touches. So these last seven years of rain were just shriveled by that east wind. And again, the thin ears or heads ate up the fat ears or heads. And then again, Pharaoh woke up and realized it's a dream. So in the morning, after he thought about it, those dreams really began to trouble him. Again, I think he realized that these were not just ordinary dreams. These were different. They had significance. So he called all of his royal men and magicians who specialize in everything mysterious and strange and weird and whatever. And he asked them to interpret the dreams for him. Now, the Egyptians were very religious people. They worshipped many gods, among them being the sun god, probably the most well-known. But the god of the Nile as well as worshipped, as well as other gods. They worshipped many gods. And they had many priests who carried out the worship of these gods, uh, and magicians or wise men who supposedly could communicate with these gods and to some extent control these gods. Very likely there was a good amount of witchcraft involved, which probably Satan himself was behind that. So he, Pharaoh called these people to interpret the dreams for him. What do these dreams mean? But the mission, magicians could not interpret them. And I find that significant. If Satan was behind these wise men and magicians or whatever... There's no way that Satan could get inside the mind of God here. He couldn't do it. And so it shows once again how much more powerful God is than Satan. So Pharaoh had a problem. He knows the dreams are significant, but no one can interpret them for him. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, I would make mention today of my own event. I can almost see the cupbearer's face. He suddenly remembered a promise he had made two years ago. All this fuss about dreams and interpretations brought it all back to him. And I think he was looking pretty shamefaced and kind of coming to Pharaoh with his head bowed and cupping his toe a bit on the ground. <laughs> He's saying, <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you something, Pharaoh. By the way, isn't God's timing amazing? What would have happened if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph to Pharaoh right away? Two years earlier, right when he got out of jail. What would have happened then? Now, we have no way of knowing. But possibly Pharaoh would have just, well, he could have just dismissed the whole thing as being none of his concern or none of his business and whatever, that's up to the jailer. Or maybe Pharaoh would have had an investigation done and found Joseph to be innocent and and let him out of jail. What would have happened then? Joseph maybe gone back home? I, I don't know. Gone back to his father? If that would have happened, we would have not had this story. Now, you know, it's all speculation, of course, but the fact that the cupbearer forgot till now made for Pharaoh finding out about Joseph at the exact time that he needed Joseph very badly. 
Now, that doesn't excuse the cupbearer, but it shows how God causes all things to work together for good and how he uses everything to carry out his purposes. And so the cupbearer, admitting to his own failings, tells Pharaoh about Joseph and how Joseph, two years ago, had interpreted his dream and the baker's dream correctly while they were in jail. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph to come and interpret his dream for him if he could. They brought Joseph out of jail, cleaned them all up, shaved them. Egyptians, of course, are very clean-shaven people, so if you're going to present yourself to the king, you've got to be clean-shaven. Cleaned them all up, changed his clothes, and then Joseph went and was presented to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've heard about you. I heard you can interpret dreams. I had a couple of dreams last night, and I need some interpretation. Joseph replied, much like he did two years earlier, to the cupbearer and the baker. He said there, uh, verse, verse 16, he said, It's not me. I'm, I can't interpret him. God will give Pharaoh the interpretation. Well, with God, so God, uh, Joseph gave all the credit to God. He was just a spokesman. So Pharaoh related the dreams to Joseph. And he adds a couple of details that weren't in the account at the beginning of the chapter. The ugly clouds, ugly cows, in verse 19... Pharaoh says, were uglier than any cows Pharaoh had ever seen in Egypt. And also, when they ate the fat cows, he couldn't see any difference. They were just as skinny and ugly before, uh, after they ate the fat cows as they were before they ate the fat cows. And he related the other dream as well about the stock of grain. And Pharaoh told Joseph these dreams and said the magicians and the wise men, they couldn't them. But Joseph, because God revealed the interpretation to him, Joseph could tell Pharaoh what it meant. So Joseph said, these two dreams mean exactly the same thing. In those dreams, God is telling Pharaoh what he's going to do in the next number of years. The seven fat cows and the seven plump ears of, of grain are seven years. There will, be, there will come seven good years of plenty. Bumper crops every year. Very fertile and abundant and great crops every year for seven years in a row. The seven thin and ugly cows and the thin years of grain are also seven years. The good years will be followed by seven years of famine. The famine would be so severe that the people will forget all about the seven good years. The reason Joseph said that God gave two dreams, meaning the same thing, was to emphasize that it is determined by God, it is bound to happen, and it is, and these events will begin immediately. So that's the interpretation. But then Joseph goes a step further, and he gives Pharaoh some advice as to how to best meet this coming situation. I'm not sure how much Joseph was putting his life into his hand, into Pharaoh's hands here or <laughs> in presuming to give Pharaoh advice, but he doesn't. And he advised Pharaoh to find a wise and discerning man to take charge of, of this situation for the whole country and then to appoint overseers in charge of the land all over the country in every town and the surrounding area and that they should exact or take one-fifth of the crops or 20% of all the crops in Egypt during those seven years of plenty and store it away so it would be there for the use in the bad years. 
Well, by this time, Pharaoh was quite impressed with Joseph. He interpreted the dreams, and then he came up with a plan. That was a good plan. Sound. I can almost see the wheels turning in Pharaoh's mind. He's thinking to himself, what, what more do we want? We got the guy right here, standing in front of me. Verse 38. Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? He recognized in Joseph a divine spirit. Joseph had something special. The spirit of God was in him. Now, Pharaoh, of course, would have believed in many gods, so the spirit of which god he thought was upon Joseph, I have no idea. Or maybe he was realizing there was another god in the mix he knew nothing about. But whatever, Joseph had a touch of the divine on him, and Pharaoh recognized that. He realized that he could use someone like that in government. So right there, Pharaoh appointed him to be this overseer. He said to Joseph, in effect, your advice is good, I'll follow it. You are a wise and discerning man, so I'll appoint you to be the overseer that you advise me to appoint. It'll be you, Joseph. But Pharaoh went on, he made Joseph more than just an overseer, he made him second in the land next to only Pharaoh himself. Verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. 30 years old when this took place. Remember how old he was when he came to Egypt? Anybody remember? 17 years old, right. He had been first a slave and then a prisoner for now a total of 13 years. 13 years. You think he ever wondered during those 13 years, where's God? Have you ever wondered that? What's going on? Where's God? Why is he leaving me here? 13 years of that. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that. But it would be normal for his thoughts to go in that direction. But here he's beginning to see the answer. God was there all the time. He had a plan that he was working out in his time. And then the remainder of the chapter tells us that Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian name, Zaphonath Penea, and he gave Joseph a wife from a high-ranking Egyptian family. Now Pharaoh evidently wanted to fully immerse Joseph in Egypt so he could Egyptianize him as much as he could. And in the years that followed, Joseph had two sons named Manasseh and Ephraim. It says that Joseph immediately got to work, and he gathered 20% of all the crops in the whole land of Egypt during those seven plentiful years. And he says he gathered so much that they stopped measuring it. That was just beyond measure. That was 20% of the crops. So you can imagine how good those crops were during those then the famine began, and it was severe. And it wasn't just Egypt that was hit with the famine. It was a large-scale famine. Verse 54 says, all the lands. Verse 56 says, spread over all the face of the earth. So it sounds like this was a widespread famine that affected pretty much all of the then-known world, at least maybe the whole world. And when Egypt ran out of food, the people cried to Pharaoh, Pharaoh told him, go to Joseph, do whatever he said. And when the famine had spread over all the earth, says Joseph opened up those vast storehouses 
started selling drinks. And people, it says, came from all over the earth to Egypt to buy grain because they couldn't get it anywhere. And on that note, the chapter ends. And as I said, there's some truths here about God's will that we can apply to us today. Let's look at them. We as Christians, we need to understand the revelation of God's will. And looking at the aspects of the revelation of God's will that come out of here in this chapter will help us, I think, understand that. So the first thing I want that came out to me that I, that I think applies to us is God reveals all you need to know to live by faith. God reveals all you need to know to live by faith. God revealed here to Pharaoh what was going to happen in the next 14 years. Seven years of bumper crops, seven years of famine. Isn't it interesting that Pharaoh, a, a heathen monarch, was granted this special vision from God telling him what the next 14 years are going to be like. And maybe you're thinking, man, I wish God would reveal that much to me. I'd like to know what the next 14 years would be like. Why doesn't he? Or to our nation. For example, why didn't God about 15 years ago to reveal to the Prime Minister of Canada that oil prices would boom for a number of years and then the bottom would just drop right out caused a great deal of hardship for so many people. Could have given him a dream, could have flown in somebody to interpret it, Rabbi Zacharias, for example, or somebody, I don't know. We could have been prepared. Or why didn't God give some national leader a dream warning us of the upcoming COVID pandemic a few years in advance with some sense of how long it was going to last? We could have prepared. I'm not sure. The case in our story here is a bit unique in that God was working out a step in his grand plan of salvation. That being to bring Jacob and his family to Egypt and spend enough time in Egypt to develop into a nation. This way, with the dream and the interpretation, God got Joseph into power and set the stage to get Jacob's family into Egypt and welcomed and settled into a very good place in Egypt. And we're going to see that as the story continues. So I don't fully know the answer to those questions, but I do know that God reveals all the information we need to live the life of faith. I'd like you to turn for a second to Hebrews chapter 1 in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 1. And we will read verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God has spoken to people through the ages, the writer of Hebrews says, in many different ways, many different forms, many different methods, dreams being one of them. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, in Jesus Christ. God's Son, Jesus, is called in John chapter 1, verse 1, the Word. Jesus is the Word of God. 
through Him, through Jesus, we have the written Word, the Bible. And friend, every time you look into the Word of God, you are reading the words of God. Every time we open the pages of Scripture, we have a revelation from God. We have a dream, if you like. No, not really a dream, but we have God speaking to us. When, in which God is saying something to us. And what He is saying in the pages of the Word of God is all we need to live the life of God. All we need to live the Christian life. There's a story of a young minister, again years ago in the Church of England, uh, and he was often greatly helped in his understanding of the Scriptures by talking with an uneducated cobbler uh, who was well acquainted with the Word of God. And the story goes that on one occasion a noted theologian came to see this young minister, and he heard all about this cobbler who knew the Bible so well. So this proud theologian thought he could stump the old cobbler, so he went out to see him. And he asked the cobbler, he said, Can you tell me what the Urim and Thummim were? Any of you know what the Urim and Thummim were? <laughs> Larry knows. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> little pouch they carried on their breastplate, and uh, inside of them were little, what they were exactly, little stones or whatever, but they were used to discern the will of God. They'd take them out and toss them, kind of like tossing lots or whatever, and they used that to discern what God was saying. So anyway, he asked the, asked the, the cobbler, what are the Urim and the Thummim? And the cobbler replied, I, I don't know exactly. I understand that the words apply to something that was on the breastplate of the high priest. The words mean lights and perfection. The priest through them was able to discern the will of God, the mind of the Lord. But then the cobbler added, he said, but I find I can get the mind of the Lord by just changing two letters. He said, I take this blessed book, and he held up his Bible, he said, I take this blessed book, and by using and thumbing, I can get the mind of the Lord that way. <laughs> Pharaoh had to take by faith that his dream actually meant something. And then he had to take by faith that Joseph's interpretations were right. God revealed enough to Joseph and to Pharaoh for them to live by faith. And friend, God will reveal to you through His Word all you need to know to live the life of faith. It's all right there in the Bible. As you read it prayerfully, God will help you understand it and speak to you through it. Secondly, God grants wisdom to deal with what He reveals. God grants wisdom to deal with what He reveals. After revealing to Pharaoh what the dreams meant, Joseph gave Pharaoh some advice as to how best to meet the situation. And Joseph's advice was more than earthly wisdom, and Pharaoh recognized that. Again there, in verse, uh, verse 38. He recognized in him a divine spirit. Verse 38 and 39. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Joseph said to, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you, of all this, and there's no one as discerned as wise as you are, you will be over my house. So obviously the Spirit of the Lord was up with Joseph, granting him wisdom to deal with the situation. Especially since he would be the one who's going to be in charge. 
And friends, God has promised us wisdom to deal with anything that comes into our lives. James 1, verse 5. If you know it by memory, recite it, see if you get there before I do. James 1, verse 5. says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's the promise of God. He reveals all we need to know to live by faith, and then he grants wisdom to meet the situation. God reveals to you something, friend. You need to take a course of action you need to take a position about something. You need to deal with a situation in your life. Or whatever the case may be. Something comes up, you make, you make a decision that will be fairly life-altering. God reveals this is what's coming. This is what is there. Rest assured that he will also, with that revelation, give you the wisdom to deal with. Thirdly, God provides the resources we need to deal with what he reveals. God provides the resources we need to deal with what he reveals. When Pharaoh heard what the dream meant, he realized what he needed was competent officials, or a competent official, to deal with this new and distressing situation that was about to take place. It was going to take a lot of planning and organizing and building to take care of this in the next 14 years. If you're going to store up 20% of the crops in the good years of abundance, how many granaries are you going to have to do? <laughs> There's a lot of things going on here, a lot of infrastructure that's going to have to happen. And he realized, probably with the gentle nudging of the Lord, that he had the man for the job right in front of him. Verse 37 to 39 tells us that Pharaoh was impressed with Joseph. He was impressed with his insight and his and so Joseph, uh, Pharaoh promoted him on the spot to the highest position in the land next to himself. Joseph was God's gift to Pharaoh to meet the situation. God provided the man to carry out this strategy. It was all part of God's plan. Friend, when God tells us what he wants to do and what he wants us to do, he will supply the resources whether the resources be personnel, or finances, or equipment, or whatever. He'll supply it. Feel God has asked you to do something? Feel He's leading you in a certain direction? Remember, He will supply the means for it to come about as you go forth in His will. I'm sure many of us can look back in our lives how God has led and how God has provided what he needed to do. He provided what was needed to do what he led us to do. We can all look back in our lives, I think, and, and tell stories of how God has done that for all of us in the past. I, I think this church here is a prime example. There are still some charter members church who were here when it all started. I was like only one here this morning. 
God led you to start a church. He led you to call a pastor. He led you to buy this building that we're still in. He has always provided the resources to do what He revealed to you to do. And He still is. I'm sure as you think back over your personal lives, you can see that to be true in your personal life as well. God has always provided everything you needed to do what He has called you to do. So therefore we see some things here about the revelation of God's will. He reveals all we need to know to live the life of faith. Nothing more, nothing less. He grants wisdom to deal with what He reveals. And He provides the resources deal with what he reveals. I don't know where each of you are at this morning when it comes to the will of God. Only you can answer that question. Maybe you've been struggling with knowing what God's will for you is. Or maybe you know what God's will for you is, but you're kind of finding it scary. You feel you don't have the time or the money or the wisdom to pull it off. I think this is a tremendously encouraging passage for us in passage of great assurance. God tells us what we need to know, gives us the wisdom to deal with it, and he gives us the resources to follow. But we must remember that knowing God's will does not exempt us from living by faith. If that's your idea, that's wrong. God's will or, sorry, God will only let you know what you need to live a life of total trust in Him. But we'll, with that, give all the wisdom we need and the resources. All we need to do is go on in faith and in obedience. Let's just take our moment of silence again. Give us all a few moments just to come before God in our own personal hearts and lives. Just chew on this. And open yourself. What is God saying to me?